All right. Good morning, Dorsville. We are. Hey, hey, hey. Good morning. Shoot that thing. We are so glad that you guys are here. And if you're visiting us today, we're especially glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. This is just about one of the biggest days of our year. And we are so excited about what it's going to do. God's going to do here and what he wants to do later on this afternoon. Now, I hope you notice we're having different pictures in the movie every week. You be sure to notice. I hope you notice that one of David. The one where he looked like an elf. That was worth looking at. We may have to show that again just so you can get another shot. And, of course, Jairus' head with the flag on it. That was especially cool, too. Amen? It really was. So anyway, so we're in a series called The Church at Dorisville. And last week we talked about the promise of the church when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church uh, uh, you know, upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And today we're going to talk about how do you join the church? Not Dorisville Church, but how do you become a member of the great church? So it begins something like this. Now, I don't know about you, but in my family and our grandchildren, which grandchildren are really great, grandchildren are like, like a neighbor that was swimming pool. You know, the better thing, you know, it's one thing to own a swimming pool. Something better is to have a good neighbor with a swimming pool. Because that way, whenever you want to swim, you go to their house, but they have to do all the maintenance. Well, with grandkids, you bring them over to the house, you know, and you spoil them real good and get them all fired up and wired up and then send them home with their mom and dad and let them worry about it. I mean, it's a great thing. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. Well, one of the things our grandkids really like is to hear stories. And I don't mean stories like Cinderella or thing like that. They'll say, say, Mama or Papa, tell us a story when Mommy was little. It's one of the favorite things we do. And so one of the favorite stories that we tell them goes something like this. We were in Lamont and we were in the parsonage. I do remember that part of it. I think probably Rebecca was maybe three and Jennifer was two, three and a half and two, something like that. Real small. And I don't remember what the offense was, but they did something. It was something worthy of a spanking. And they were told they were going to get a spanking. And so Rebecca has always been this conniver kind of guy, you know, that, that you know, conniving kind of thinks things through. So she runs back and takes Jennifer back to the bedroom and I guess explains in, in three-year-old terms, look, it's fixing to go down. We are fixing to get a spanking. Now, I've been around longer than you, and I know about spankings better than you. It's better if we put on two pair of underwear. It softens the blows. So... Out they come, you know, and I, Judy, was it me or you? I don't even know who was the, who was the executioner that day. I'm not sure. But anyway, so we got ready to spank them and we noticed the two pair of underwear. So we said, oh, so you've got two pair of underwear. It throws me softer. Well, we'll spank you just a little bit harder and longer so you'll get the message. So Rebecca throws Jennifer under the bus. You go first. She runs back to the back. And takes her underwear off. Well, not all of it. The first, the extra pair. And comes back like, she did it, but I didn't. Threw her sister under the bus. They love these stories about when mom was little and how crazy it could be. We love stories. And then another story, a great story that we love is the story about Jesus and how he impacts the lives of people. So many of us today have a story like that. We have a story, you know, B.C., we have a story of how it happened, and we have a story 
A.D. And we had to share this yesterday with Carl Griffith's life. I mean, Carl was a just a perfect example of the grace and power of Jesus Christ. You know, we got Carl B.C. before Christ. And, and like I shared yesterday, if you were here at the funeral, um, you remember, you know, Carl could not be, sometimes was not a very nice person. Um, as, a, as a mind boss, sometimes he was very strict and very hard. And, and they'll tell you, family will tell you, out of his mouth would proceed words that, well... Make a sailor blush sometimes. And, and then Susie told me how that, that he was quite a drinker before he met Jesus Christ. And how he would drink you know, beer and, and other alcoholic beverages. And he enjoyed that. And then one day at age 62, he met Jesus Christ. And it went down something like this. Imogene had been praying for Carl for a long, long time. And many of you sitting in this room prayed for Carl for a long, long time. Carl didn't want to do anything with church, mainly because he saw the lives of people who call themselves Christians and said, they go to the bars like I do. Why do I need what they've got? Well, after he retired, and as Danny said, there's this void in his life, he started seriously considering the call of Jesus Christ. And people were praying, people were visiting, and Frank and Marquita Clore went over his house one night to visit with him and once again share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was the night. That was the night that Carl surrendered to Jesus Christ, and he prayed to receive Christ, and God radically changed his life. You know, sometimes you see people, and they get saved, and, and nothing seems to change, and you kind of go, what, what's up with that? Not with Carl. You know, Susie said, when Jesus came, the alcohol went. When, when Jesus came, the, the foul language went. When, when Jesus came, a lot of the harshness and hardness left. And he became this incredible, bold witness for Jesus Christ. Whether he's at McDonald's or the golf course, wherever he was, he wanted to ask that question, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? He went to CWT, which is a continual witness training. Um, he went to faith and learned how to share his faith with others because his passion became he wanted others to know what Jesus had done for him and for him to do that for them. And that's a great story. B.C., how it happened in A.D. And if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you've got a story like that. You've got your life before Christ, you got your life, how it happened, and then you got your life after Christ. And for some who are pretty moral and pretty good, it's maybe not a dramatic change, but there is really a change when you met Jesus Christ as Savior. So what we look at today then really is the birth of the church. It really is the birthday of the church. And on this particular day, on this particular day, 3,000 people had a birthday. 3,000 people were able to say, this was my story before Jesus. This is how it happened. And this is my story after Jesus. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. Now, we're going to meet Acts chapter 2 today. And once again, praise the Lord, we're going to whack the sermon in half. Okay? That doesn't mean you're going to get out early. It just means you're not going to get out as late as you could. Okay? All right. So, so the story goes something like this. It opens by saying that the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. So we had the Passover, we had the, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and 50 days from that is a Jewish festival of weeks. And that was Passover. I'm sure that was, that was the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the festival of weeks. So 50 days after Jesus Christ died, buried, resurrected, and about 10 days after he ascended back into heaven, they, the guys were told to go back to Jerusalem and wait. 
And they were in a meeting. 120 of them were in the meeting upstairs in the upper room. And all of a sudden, they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. You've heard, perhaps you've seen these tornado movies where, where the wind rushes through the building. It was something similar to that. Not that they felt the wind, but they heard a wind, a strong wind. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that tongues, uh, excuse me, flames like cloven fire begin falling on each one of them. And each person there was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means they came under the total influence of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they spoke in different languages. Now, that is so important. In this particular case, in Acts chapter 2, there's no doubt that what they gained was the ability to speak a language they did not know. For instance, in my case, I do not know anything but English and don't know that very well. But I would have gained that day the possibility of speaking German or French or Japanese or something like that. So these, these 120 people all of a sudden got the ability to speak in different languages. And they begin talking in these languages. Well, all of a sudden, the crowd that was there, they were there from like 17 different areas, different regions, and all of them began hearing the marvelous works of God in their own language. And, and they all said, dude. Well, they probably didn't say dude. But, but they said, what's going on? What's happening here? And remember Peter? Remember Peter, the guy that denied Jesus? Well, now Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter restored and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and begins to preach. And he preaches this incredible, incredible message about what has happened over the past weeks. Now, I've asked the guys to put up Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24 for you on, on the sheet here, on the screen here. So you can see this is kind of the core of Peter's message right now. He goes and talks about the prophet Joel. He talks about David. But here's the core of what happened. According to Peter, men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know. And, and Peter's basically saying, guys, come on, come on, come on. You were here 50 days ago. You, you remember that Friday? You remember that day? Actually, you remember like, you know, when he came in, y'all guys were all crying, yay, Jesus, and he's the son of God and the son of David, all that. And then you remember things went south. And you remember how some of you standing here most likely then cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Do you remember all that? And you remember how they took him outside of town? You can go there right now, what Peter would say, and to a place called Calvary, a place called Golgotha. And remember you saw the, the place where the Romans crucified him? You saw his battered body. You saw him, you know, being taken off the cross, you saw him put into a grave. But did you hear what happened? That, that, that Sunday morning when they went there, the grave was empty and Jesus Christ was alive. Do you remember, do you remember, Joe, do you remember when, when he healed that blind guy? Hey, hey, Sally, do you remember when the guy had leprosy and he cleansed that guy? You know, God did wonderful and mighty works through this man named Jesus Christ. He was confirming that this man was no other man. And then Peter said these words. He said, now, now, though he, God, though he, Jesus, was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless men to nail him to a cross and to kill him. Even though it was God's plan ordained before the foundation of the world, even though it was God's plan that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, come and die on a cross like this so we could have forgiveness of sins. It was you who allowed ruthless, lawless men, and you crucified him, and you killed him. And then Peter goes on and finishes up by saying this. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
Peter says, you've got to get this. You've got to understand it. You saw him nailed to a cross. You saw him buried. But you also know this, that death could not hold Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's what sets him apart from any other religious leader. He was God. He died willingly. He was put into a grave, but death could not hold him down. And by the way, because death could not hold him down, we who have trusted him, death will not be able to hold us down either. So the core of his message was Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Lord. And you crucified him and you killed him. So then we come into our sermon sheet in verse number 37. Then now Peter, after a little bit, a few more verses, says this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter says you've got to understand something. Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was not just a teacher. Jesus was not just a miracle worker. Jesus was not just a rabbi. Jesus was not just a good man. He was Lord and he was Messiah. And you crucified him. Now, to us, that means something. But when, when the light begins coming on their heads and they understand as Jewish men and women, they've waited for the Messiah, they've waited for the Lord, and they missed it. And Peter says, you as Jewish people who look forward to Messiah have killed the Messiah. What do you think the effect was? What the effect was was what it should have been. Because the Bible says then, when they heard this, they come under deep conviction. The word conviction there in the Greek means to be stunned. It means to be stunned. When they heard that they had crucified the Son of God, that they had crucified Messiah, God started gripping their hearts with great conviction. And they realized what they had done. And they were stunned at what they had done. This is huge. Today, perhaps, in this auditorium, perhaps later on when this is played on the Internet or on YouTube, Someone perhaps will listen to this message and hear this part of God's word and they're going to be stunned. All of a sudden, the realization is going to come is that they have sinned against holy God. I suppose there might be several reasons to be, uh, become a follower of Christ. One that's thrown out so, so regularly is, who wants to go to hell? I want to go to heaven. That's a reason. I understand that. Perhaps some of you are trying to save a marriage. Perhaps you're trying to, to stop a certain habit. And those are reasons. But the primary, the main, the singular reason is that we've got to come to recognition that we are sinners and that we have sinned against holy God. And when we sin, that separates us from God. God does love. God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a Roman cross that we could come into relationship with him. But as in our natural state, without forgiveness, we are eternally and irrevocably separated from God. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because if you die in that state, and this is about as popular as having a flu. But if you die in that state, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how good you think you may be. Matter of fact, one thing, one of the relatives of Carl's before he got saved said, yes, but he's a good man. He wasn't that good. Because without Jesus, you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And the reason that is because you will be in hell because you rejected Christ and your sins remained unforgiven. 
So hopefully someone today will sit and go, oh, gosh, wait a minute. I just it just dawned on me. I really have. I have sinned. I, I'm a, I may be a religious person. I may be a good person, but I have sinned against holy God. And there's not that relationship because the sin has come before me and God. So they were deeply convicted and they asked what we should ask. What should I do? What should we do? Dwayne, if what you're saying is true, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and because of that sin, I am separated from God, what should I do? Well, what if going home today, there's an accident? What if today is the last heartbeat, and I die separated from Christ, from God? What should I do, Dwayne? Tell me, what should I do? And that's what I want to do. I want to do what Peter did that day when the church was born. The Bible says that Peter said these words, and there's several things in this verse. After they said, brother, what must we do? He says, you must repent, Peter said, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's quite a chunk. But let's start at the beginning. Peter says, you've got to repent. Now, you've all seen me many times and you've seen probably David. You've seen other teachers do this and it's totally accurate to repent means we are going in this direction and we turn around and go this direction. That's a good picture of repentance. But in the Greek language and in their culture and context, there's another view that we really need to get. And that view is this. It means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. The audience that he was speaking to, however many was there, obviously a very large, because 3,000 people that day uh, believed in Jesus Christ, a very large audience that day, they had a problem. Their mindset was, cursed is the man who dies on the tree. Their mindset was, in front of Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Their mindset today was, hey, let's mock him. Hey, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? Their mindset was, he was dead, he was gone, game over. And Peter says, if you really want to be forgiven your sins, you got to repent. You have to change your mind. And today that repentance means this. It means changing your mind in your life. It means change your mind about who you are because we fight the battle in America. I'm a, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a good person. I'm an American. Of course I'm a good person. I, I go to church. Because I'm a good person. I give the world hunger. Because I'm a good person. I, I go to Sunday school. Of course I'm a good person. I provide for my family. Of course I'm a good person. I, I try to be a good parent. Of course I'm a good person. I gave a dollar bill to a guy holding a cardboard sign up that said he was hungry. Of course I'm a good person. And you've got to change your mind in your natural state and understand the Bible says there is no one good. No one. That we are totally deprived. That separate from God, there is no spiritual goodness in us. Account overdrawn. Balance zero. There's nothing we can at one point go to God. And when he says, and this is, of course, an illustration... Why shall I let you into my heaven? Well, God, you understand. I did this. Zero. I was a good person. Zero. I tried to be a good parent. Zero. 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 We've got to change our mind about who we are. And we've got to change our mind about who Jesus is. We've got to understand 
That when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but by me, that's exactly what he meant. We've got to change our mind and understand that he was the atonement for our sin. He wasn't just a way to heaven. He was the way to heaven. He wasn't just a, a savior. He was the savior. Amen. This is huge, guys. For 21 years, I was in the church. Determined to show God by, by going to church three times a week, by having my hair cut the right way, by listening to the word of God that I could earn my way to heaven. I didn't make it an inch off the ground. And then I met Jesus. And then I met Jesus. And it changed everything. So Peter says, you've got to change your mind. And with a change of mind comes obviously a change of heart. Of course you understand that. Repent, Peter said, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, for many people, that poses a problem because Peter seems to be saying that after you change your heart and change your mind, that you need to be baptized to gain forgiveness of sins. Now, again, some denominations hold to that. There are three interpretations of this scripture. The first is that exactly that, that if we repent and if we're baptized, somehow that gains us forgiveness of sins. Somehow that gains us relationship with God. The major problem with that is that throughout the New Testament, we don't see that. We see Ephesians 2, 8, 9 as an example. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We see over and over again that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. Now, the Bible does not contradict itself. So regardless of what that might mean, because of, of multiple scriptures that teaches that salvation is not on our merit, it's on the merit of Jesus Christ, it simply can't mean that somehow the blood and the water washes away our sin. Just can't. Now, also in the Greek, if you'll look with me, please, back at the scripture, where Peter says, repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The word for there is a small Greek word. And it can be translated... To mean something like this. To be, um, let me get back to the scripture here. In the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of your sins. On the basis of the remissions of your sins. So that, that interpretation, that context would be valid as far as rest of scriptures go. You know, we're, we're baptized based on the fact that we have been forgiven. Not to gain forgiveness, but because we have been forgiven. Now, y'all know, I want to make sure I make something very clear. I'm not a Greek expert, don't claim to be. I study for this message using, again, conservative commentaries. And the third interpretation is probably the most likely interpretation and likely the best way to view this scripture. But again, I want you to understand, I'm not like a Mr. Greek scholar. I'm just going on what I've read through conservative commentaries. And here's what it says. See the word um, repent? In the Greek, that is plural. Now, that don't mean a thing to me and probably don't mean a whole lot to you, but I know it sets that part of word, that word apart in a different way. Plural. In English, it doesn't matter. In Greek, it does. And interestingly enough, see the word your? That also is plural. So in order to maintain the syntax of the structure of the sentence, the syntax uh, in the Greek, 
you almost have to do something different with the interpretation. It has to go something like this. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins and be baptized, each of you. Now, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to explain a difficult scripture. I'm just telling you in the Greek, that's where the syntax is. Peter says, have a change of mind so you can have forgiveness of your sins and then you should be baptized. Amen? Write that down. It's very important, you understand? Because someone might say, well, I thought you had to be baptized to be saved. And if they want to use the scripture, then you can tell them, well, it could mean this, it could mean this, or it could mean this. And but really seems that third one in the Greek structure, the syntax is, is that we repent for the remission of our sins, for the goodness of our sins, and then we are baptized. Very important. So when we turn from our sins, then God becomes willing, applying the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, to our account. He forgives our sins. He blots them out. He takes them away. And not it's so beautiful. Not just your past sins, not just your present sins, but your future sins. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, your sins are paid for. You're not given a credit limit. Your sins are forgiven. And brother and sister, the day you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, your sins were blotted out. You, amen. That's right. Let me tell you a couple reasons that's important. First off, if we had to keep on asking forgiveness for every sin to maintain our salvation, one, that's a works, and two, we ain't that good. We'd miss a few. We'd miss a few. You've got to understand that when God, look at me, when God looks at you today as a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ, he sees you white. I'm talking about he sees us pure. Come on now. I'm talking about he sees us white as wool, white as snow spiritually. Come on now. Boy, I bet that could be misinterpreted on the radio. That'd be fun. Isn't it wonderful to know that when God looks at you, he doesn't go, oh, that Dwayne, he's all stained up. I'm going to let him sneak in. He sees me because, you see, Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus Christ became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are a righteous brother and sister because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not your merit, not your merit. So, so we have turned from our sin, one. Two, because of that, on that merit, then we have received forgiveness of sin. And then we ought to be baptized. Baptism might be explained as the clothing of the Christian. The word baptized means to identify. And for these Jews back in that day, that was a big deal. When, they, when Peter said be baptized, he said you need to identify with Jesus Christ as Messiah. Not the criminal on the cross, uh, not the good man, not the healer, not the teacher. You, when you're baptized, you're saying, I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And we are baptized We are proclaiming to the world that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that we have received His atonement into our lives. Our sins are forgiven and we have committed to follow Him. That's why baptism is important. That's why baptism. Not not washing away your sin. Not some work you can do to earn salvation because you can't. It's like slapping a big old tattoo on your chest. I belong to Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. I've been bought by him. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, and you shall receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. And somewhere in all this process, it all ties together. We see the repentance. We see the forgiveness of sins. We see the act of obedience. And the conversion process is sealed, if you will. Not including baptism, but it simply has an act of obedience. But the, but the process is sealed. And we are saved and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we Baptists are a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. But let me remind you, He is part of the Trinity. Come on now. He is part of the Trinity. And, and the Holy Spirit, when we receive Him, He comes and takes residence up in us. And by Him... We are empowered to live the Christian life. By Him, we are comforted and consoled. By Him, we are encouraged. By Him, we are equipped to do the kingdom work that God called us to do. Now, what happens this afternoon, as David referenced so many times already in worship, what happens this afternoon when 1,000 or 1,200 people come through, what needs to happen is we don't need to do it. we got to let... we got to be hands. we got to be feet. And we got to be a voice, but God needs to do it. Now, you remember that because someone's going to walk in this building and they're not going to be nice to you. And you're going to want to kind of like, you know, be not nice. If you do it in the flesh, it's exactly what's going to happen. We got to let the Holy Spirit act through us. And by the way, is that just on back to school Sunday? See, that's what we don't get every day. We can't do this Christian thing. Again, we're not that good. We're simply hands and feet and voices as God flows through us through His Holy Spirit to be and do what He wants us to be and to do. So when Peter said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, it's the equipping power. It's the changing power. It's the living power of Jesus Christ. Now, what does all that mean? Let me tell you what happens. Now, for some of you, this is past tense. For me, it was October 26, 1975. You don't have to remember the date. I just happened to. And by the way, it happens to fall on Sunday this year. Kind of excited about preaching that day. But here's what happens. The day you repented and gained forgiveness of your sins, according to Peter, and that's a good description, one, you were born again. You were born again. A certain Pharisee went to Jesus named Nicodemus and said, Jesus, we know you're a teacher sent from God. You do all these good things. And, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but, Jesus, but God. But he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So the day you trusted Jesus Christ, or if you trust Jesus Christ today, you will be born again. You'll be born into the family of God. Now, Y'all know, we, most of us, a lot of us had children, okay? And because of that, when we went to the hospital, you know, and, and mama was, mm, and she came out, mm, and, and one day the baby, mm, and we had a child. Have y'all experienced that? It's pretty radical. And, and I take that child home, and I love it, and I care for it, and Judy fed it, and Judy changed the diapers, I didn't get into that diaper thing real good. When I saw that, matter of fact, I got pause. Rebecca pooped. The first time. Pooter had a hard time of delivery, and this is just a few hours. And she said, I think you said, Dwayne, I think she's, she's done it. No problem. I don't know what to do. I picked that buzzer up. Bzzz. Little nurse came in and said, can I help you? 
I said, yes, ma'am, I think she's done it. She goes, honey, there's the diapers and there's the wipes. Go at it. I was baptized early on this thing. And I figured since I got the first, she could have all the rest. I remember a story. She wanted to go to WMU. And that meant I had to keep Jennifer and Rebecca. And they were like two years old and younger than that a year. As soon as, as soon as she walked out the door and out the car, Jennifer did it. I'm not, am I telling the truth? I'm hollering out the door going, come back. <laughs> she goes, and drove off. Left me there. Listen, when a child is born into our families, it's a natural and moral obligation to care for the child. I want to tell you, that's just one aspect of your salvation. You, I know some of you have been bruised and hurt by an earthly father. But it is the very nature of your heavenly father to love and take care of you. Come on now. Come on. You've got a father. You just don't understand how good he is. You don't understand how much he loves you. You don't understand. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's there for you. And, and all that goes back. You know, there's only a moral obligation also. We expect mom. Now I know it's a crazy world we live in. I know that. But generally speaking, mom must take care of the kids. Daddy take care of the kids. There's a moral, societal obligation. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't do it out of obligation. God is our loving father. We were purchased by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, you've been born in my family. You're my child. You're my baby. I'm going to take care of you. How long, daddy? Forever and ever and ever. And there, but, but Father, what if I mess up? You're bought by the blood forever and ever and ever. But what if I fall flat on my face forever and come on now forever and forever? But God, I'm not perfect forever and forever and forever. That's how long. That's how long. But then something else happened. You are not only born into the family of God, you're adopted unto the family of God. Let me read to you a scripture. Boys, I think y'all got this, ladies. Galatians 4, 4, listen. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, woohoo, to buy, to pay for, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, this is so cool. It's so true. Back in the time of Jesus, back in the time of Paul, in the Roman world, in the Roman Empire, adoption was really quite a common thing. But here is what crazy was. If you were a Roman citizen, when you adopted, you most likely did not adopt a child. Matter of fact, it was rare that a child was adopted. What you do is, if you want to pass your wealth along and make sure it was taken care of, if you want to pass your estate along and make sure it's well cared for, you wouldn't trust it to some kid. You might. Now, listen, I'm not making this up. You would go out and adopt a man, a man to care for your estate. So it wasn't uncommon for a 35-year-old man to be adopted into a family. Now, when that man was adopted, do you think he was treated as a baby? No. He was treated as an adult. Here's what I want you to get. In one sense, you were born like a baby into the family of God. But in the other sense, you're adopted. And listen to this, listen to this. The day you got into the family of God, 
You are adopted as not a baby, but as a son. You know what that means? All the rights, all the privileges, all the power of God was given to you that day. God didn't say, God didn't say, well, when you grow up a little bit, when you've been to Sunday school three weeks in a row, when you, when you get a few things down, then we'll see about giving you some authority and rights and privilege. Uh-uh. The day you trusted Jesus Christ, the day you became a Christ follower, the day you turned away from your sin and, your sin and turned to the Savior, that day you're adopted into the family of God. And you got rights, and you got privileges, and you got power, and you got authority, and you got responsibilities. I don't know about you, but I don't think my children ever learned much about responsibilities. When it was, when Faith was, or when Becca was, it's always Becca, if y'all notice that. She's not, she's at that new church in Bayonne today, so we'll just talk about her. Teach her to go visit another church. So, so when she was three, I'd walk up in all my daddy authority and I'd say, now listen here, you need to go clean your room up. She didn't quite get that. So I tried again when she was 10. I said, you go clean your room up. I don't think it happened very good then. And so finally when she was 17, I walked in and the EPA had condemned the thing. I said, you need to go clean your room up. She didn't get it. Some of you have been saved long enough to understand that when you got saved, God gave you responsibilities. You don't need a seminary degree to share Jesus. You don't need a seminary degree to sing a choir. You don't need to have a seminary degree to help this afternoon. God's got responsibilities because He counts you as a son. A son? How cool is that? In fact, listen to the rest of these verses. To redeem those who are under the law. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying... Abba, Father. And again, the closest English translation we have is Daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So you were born again. And you were adopted unto the family of God. And, and here's the best part, I think. When you were born and when you were adopted, you were sealed. We Baptists get made a lot of fun of about this eternal security issue. I'm not sure why, because if it's really all of grace and we can't do anything to earn God's favor, uh, how could I fall out? Unless all of a sudden there's works involved. Now, I'm going to say this. The problem is a lot of people prayed a prayer and didn't get Jesus. They got a dose of religion, but they didn't get Jesus. That was me. I prayed a prayer when I was 14. I prayed a prayer when I was 7. When I was 21, I got Jesus. It was a game changer. It was a game changer. Listen, 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 listen. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were also sealed. Say it with me. Sealed. Say it one more time. Sealed. How many of y'all make jelly? How many of y'all make salsa? You put that jelly in a pot of boiling water, and that lid has a little bubble thing on it, and when it gets hot enough, it goes, and it's sealed. The terminology fits our salvation. The day we trusted Jesus Christ, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Come on, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. I don't have to be good to keep it. I couldn't even earn it by being good. But I am sealed into God's family by the Holy Spirit. In fact, he goes on and says this. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. We're sealed. 
And God put a down payment of eternity in my life. You know what that down payment was? The Holy Spirit. Is this good or what? Now, this ought to change your view of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Or if you're more comfortable as a Christian, a true Christian. When you understand you were born, when you understand you were adopted, when you understand you were sealed, that's quite a deal. And that's what Peter was saying. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive forgiveness when you have a change of heart and you have a change of mind. If you're here today and this has never happened in your life, I'm not trying to make a Baptist out of you. I'm not trying to get be a member of the Dorsal Baptist Church. I'm not trying to run you through the waters over there. All I know is this, that many of us here have had an experience with the living Son of God. And there's a time when we had a change of mind and heart. And there was a time when something happened. We were born into the family of God. And something happened. And we understood we were adopted in the family of God. And then we realized that we were sealed in the family of God. And it's been a good ride. I know religion's not, not, it's not what it's cracked up to be. But Jesus is. Jesus is. Now, let me share one more quick thing with you because we're getting close to time. Look down in verse number, number 39. Peter goes on and says this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter says it's for you. It's for your immediate family. But it's for all that are far off. Who do you reckon he was talking about? Us. He didn't fully understand yet. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, now listen, listen, you Jews who, who crucify him, this is for you. But it's also for them. See, the concept of missions was even at Pentecost. When Peter preached, he basically said this, the gospel is too big and the gospel is too good to keep to ourselves. God didn't do it just for us. He did it for the Gentiles. He did it for the ones who are far off. He did it for the ones who don't live in the right part of town. He did it for the ones whose economic status may not be where yours is. He did it for the ones that think they're really good and the ones that think they're really bad. He did it for the ones in Africa and the ones in Nicaragua, the ones in the Philippines and the ones in Harrisburg and the ones in Chicago. It's for everyone as the Lord calls. Isn't that incredible? Let me ask you a question. If you're a follower of today, of Christ today, aren't you glad it's for everyone? I told him yesterday at Carl's funeral. You know, God could have said to Carl, Carl, you waited way too long. You're 62 years old, and there is a sin list a mile long. I just don't think my grace can quite get it done. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? He said, no, Carl. He said, my grace is sufficient. My grace, I don't care, 62 years of sin or not, my grace is sufficient. And I won't tell you, I don't know what you've done. And I won't tell you, it don't matter. Because God's grace is sufficient. Can anybody testify to that today? Can you testify to that? That is the wonder of the gospel. It's too big, it's too good to keep to ourselves. And incredibly, the Bible says, and with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added 
to them or added to the church. And that was the church's birthday. And each one of us who have trusted Christ, who came to that point of repentance, forgiveness, and obedience, we followed in baptism. That day we received the Holy Spirit. He sealed the deal. The Holy Spirit did. We were added to the church that day. And then we are part of a local assembly that we're calling the church at Dorisville, or Dorisville Baptist Church. A local assembly of folks who are following Jesus. Now, I want to tell you this one more time. I keep telling you this. You, God has blessed us with the most incredible group of folks who shows up. Some of y'all got the name on the roll and some of you don't. I want to tell you that if you regularly attend here, and that means if you've been here twice, welcome to the family. Not God's family, but our family. Welcome to the family. And we want to give you a place to serve. We want to love you. Now, we hope if you want to put your name on the roll, that would be awesome and great. We would clap and applaud that. We want you to do that. But don't be sitting out there going, well, I never joined the church. I can't serve. Who told you that? Let me shoot the deacon who did. We'll work you. Because we believe God's people are called to serve. Serve. You may not be a, like I say, you may not be a deacon or a trustee, but, man, we can put you to work. So welcome to the family. And today, we've got this incredible opportunity to serve and to share. So the bottom line is this. If you're here, I bet you figured it out. If you're here today and you have never become a follower of Jesus Christ, if you never reached that point, you had that aha, that stunned moment, but today you did. You realize that God is holy and you're not. That God's creator and you're the created. And that you're separated from him by sin. And you have this strong pull now from God to come to a relationship with him. That's what today is about, the end of invitation time. I'll be standing down front in just a moment. And I would glad to share you more about Jesus Christ. i got some friends who will share with you about Jesus Christ. We want you to come into God's family. We want you to experience the wonderful grace that so many of us have here today. We want you to do that. The second bottom line is this. That as the church at Dorisville, we are called to serve. We are called to be a light in this community. Well, David keeps singing this song, and all of a sudden, David's a favorite. We're to be his hands. We're to be his feet. We're to be his voice. We're to carry this Savior to the ends of the earth. And by the way, I just I was sitting here thinking about that because it's so important we don't forget something, that if I'm going from here to the ends of the earth, that means i got to go through Harrisburg first. And then I've got to travel on through Chicago. And then I may have to go over here to Kansas City. And as I go on, I might stop in Haiti. I might stop over here in Nicaragua, and I may get on a plane and fly a long way to Africa. So we're going to the ends of We're talking about Harrisburg. We're talking about Illinois. We're talking about North America. We're talking about Canada. We're talking about taking the gospel that is too big and too good to keep to ourselves. Take it and share it. That's what the Dorisville Church is about and should be about. Would you bow your heads right there? My friend, if you're here today and you've never experienced this wonderful grace that I've talked about and David sang about, we sang about so much. Oh, today's the day. Listen to a verse I want to share with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul writes, Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. For he says, I heard you in an acceptable time and I helped you and the day of salvation. Listen, listen. Look. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now 
it's death salvation. Don't wait. If God is tugging at your heart and pulling your heart, wanting you to bring you into his family, come today. You don't need to know all the answers. You don't need to understand it all. You need to understand that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, and that you believe he'll forgive your sins, and then commit to walk with him. You'll get the rest of it later. You'll never get all of it. It's a journey. But today, if you're willing to make that commitment, I'll be standing down front. As we're waiting for folks to come, and, and if you want to come and pray at the altar, um, wow, if you've never been baptized, maybe today you understood how important that is. That's an identifying factor with Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to come today and say, Dwayne, I've never been baptized. I'd like to be baptized. Maybe you're here today and you're a regular tender, and today you decided, you know what, I want to be an official member. I want to put my name on the dotted line and join this church family that way. We would love to have you. If you want someone to just pray with you, uh, come. Come. This is our decision time. And we hope, we pray, that we can do whatever God will allow us and help us to do to help you. So God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing the incredible story of the gospel. Thank you that it is too big and it's too good to keep to ourselves. Father, thank you that you allow us to be born again into your family and that you nurture us. You, you love us. But then you also adopted us and gave us this authority thing. That we're your sons. And then you sealed us. You sealed us. Praise you for that. So have your way in this invitation time. And Jesus, we're going to give you all the honor and glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.